What's cracking, lovely people? Welcome back to the Big Feed Up HQ podcast. If you're a new listener, I've done over 70 shows. Get into them, look at the topics and the titles and enjoy. If you are a regular listener, thank you very much. This is a really exciting show. And yeah, without further ado, we're going to talk to a chap called James Hudson. So James's business is called uh, Nutrition for Energy. He's a registered sports nutritionist and he works with individuals that uh, participate in CrossFit, triathlons, running. So you've got that kind of uh, functional training element. You've got that endurance training element. He offers body compositional analysis. He offers nutrition consultations. Um, We'll get into those. But like I said, yeah, we're going to dive into this uh, Netflix show that has picked up are huge amounts of um, momentum and if you haven't heard of it I'll link to it I'll also link to everything that James does as well but mate without further ado welcome to the show cool nice to meet you Matt and uh, yeah nice to chat thanks for the introduction um yeah the reason I wanted to have a discussion with Matt about game changes was just because the sheer amount of people messaging me asking me have you seen this what do you think of this and um, for all the nutritionists who are also listening, I'm sure you've had the same thing. So it's quite nice to have a source and have your own opinion about it. Um, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting and probably um, controversial is probably the right word film because I think there's a lot of good information, but um, there's potentially some misinformation or some of the way the information is. Uh, demonstrated or explained is potentially a little bit misleading so it might be quite good to get stuck into this with with you Matt. Mm. Yeah cool so look I think we're going to work through it in section by section lovely people and um, yeah and we're going to get James's take and, and, and I'll kind of dip in and out as well and hopefully ask some of the questions that you'll be thinking about and um, yeah I'll make sure that everything's clearly labelled in the show notes so if there's a certain section of the show that you want to get into um i'll make sure that that you can find out about it so you can either fast forward or whatever but if you're here for the long run then uh mate let's dive in so do you want to do you want to just start with the uh sorry apologies for that as um i've recently got a new kitten who's uh, flying about the house wrecking stuff cool <laughs> now mate it's cool so yeah do, do you want to start things off so um obviously if people have watched it they'll know about the chap that basically narrates it the the mma fighter um, I think that's probably the best place to start. Yeah, we we'll start go. with him. Um, so this, the main character is called James Wilkes, and the film's very well produced so that you gain a lot of trust in this character, which I think is key because this film is trying to really push a message. So you believing and understanding everything that this character says and you having that trust element is quite important. So they do quite a lot of background on this person. So... They go through his MMA fighting career, then they show how tough he is, basically, when he's self-defense stuff, doing all this across and around the world. So you think, wow, I, I admire this person, and that's been very well done in the film, in my opinion. And that's not to take anything away from this guy. It's um, it's just to show you that, actually, it's it's been portrayed in that manner. Um, he's not necessarily a registered sport nutritionist who's talking here. It's someone who has a wide range of credentials but has it's still um what's the right word it's still evidence that he's coming up with from what he's found himself i suppose Mm. um 
So you're designed to build trust there. He's an expert in his field, but not necessarily in the sport nutrition field. Um, and what he, so his journey um, comes from when he got injured and that's how he encountered uh, the vegan diet because he understood that it was better for recovery. Um, and I think we should probably get into that a little bit as well, mm. what the, the key points of a re- recovery diet are. Um, so things like, or well, ultimately high protein is going to be good for recovery because your muscles aren't getting the same stimulus as you used to because when you're injured, you're probably not moving around quite as much. Your muscles just aren't getting that stimulus. So having a high protein diet is going to help to preserve some of that muscle mass. Mm. Um, and the film does get into this. It says, you know, protein can be consumed and high levels of protein can be achieved from eating a vegan diet it's then whether the quality of those proteins are going to be the same and this is also addressed but i think it could be slightly misleading in the film because if i were to put this in context when i worked with harlequins um probably about three or four years ago we did quite a lot of work with their um, ill and injured athletes and the diet you talk about there is a diet which is very high protein um, but not necessarily just high protein it's also high in leucine um, as one of the main drivers of mTOR you want these high leucine foods to really help protect that muscle mass and all those high leucine foods are usually your animal-based ones so for a diet that's optimal for recovery I probably would be going with something like whey protein very high in leucine as a supplement in and around that or I mean, milk, animal-based foods, eggs, things like that are going to be high in leucine. Mm. Um, I mean, calcium, iron, depending on what the injury is, you need to be looking at these micronutrients and they can be achieved through the vegan diet, but you're probably going to have to be a lot more strategic with how you get them into the athlete. Mm. So I think depending on if this is an athlete or if this is just your everyday runner, I think and depending on the motivation of that athlete and how interested they are, because quite a lot of the guys who are, who are athletes as well aren't that fussed about food. And they're just like, tell me what to eat, maybe give me these supplements, and you can say, right, well, let's just, this is the plan, stick to it. Um, in which case you might say, right, let's just tick a few boxes here, let's get calcium, iron, mm. micronutrients in, um, as well as high leucine foods. Mm. But interestingly, what the podcast talks about is all these other nutrients that aren't necessarily the essential ones. So things like polyphenols, all these phytonutrients that are in that are high in a vegan-based diet would be more beneficial. And there's not that much research on this. Am I right in saying that? Because it's because these um, these chemicals are so new, basically, mm. that whether they really have a driving element on recovery is still a bit unknown. That's not to say that they don't. It's just to say, well, um, how, how, and what, and what quantities do we try and get these nutrients into the diet? Mm. And does it necessarily need to be a vegan diet, or just a diet that's very high in whole foods? Mm. Yeah, I think. So what you're saying there is at the start we have this chap. Um, he's on his own journey trying to recover he's obviously got the tools around training mindset he's got a goal to get back to his best because it helps with his his image his work Um, and like you said there he's playing food detective so food's become a lot more important to him you know 
in the last little while before the documentary obviously probably for the show as well so before that it might not even touch mm. the sides he might have just been eating and, and smashing people and you know uh work working on his on his uh, uh workshops and his programs and things there but i think like you said it depends on the person you know this guy's what a semi-professional professional athlete he might not have been uh during the documentary but he's obviously trying to recover and get back to his best so if you're listening to this you're thinking okay you know what does recovery mean to me i know we touched on that before the pod you know are you aware of your muscle soreness uh are you aware of uh how you're feeling before training during training all that kind of stuff so if you're if you've altered your diet because of this documentary because you think oh wow i'm not gonna be recovering as well if if i eat animal foods and now i'm just going to be eating fruits and vegetables you know you've obviously honed in on something very specific in in a in a in a kind of short term basis so you're not really going to know the benefit of that and it's going to take time to tease out and as you said there you're going to have to change things from the practical side of things preparation you're going to have to have a strategy around picking up uh, other levels of of amino acids from plant-based foods calcium iron all that kind of thing. So, um, but just to jump in on that, I think it's making those changes isn't necessarily a bad thing because no. it's going to make you think a lot more about what you're eating. It's going to make you a far more conscious consumer. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's if you're someone who, okay, I'm just going to have, you know, five or ten meals a week, um, uh, which I've planned for my week, and they're probably going to be the similar ones week to week. Whereas now, okay, well, I can't have chicken three times a week and bolognese. So I've actually got to find some recipes. I've got to look at getting a, a mixture of different plant-based proteins coming in. Mm. Well, then that's probably going to be extremely healthful for you because you're going to get a wider range of different foods. Mm. And having that range as well is going to be hugely healthful for your gut just as a start. Yeah, I think so. And what you were saying before, if we go back to your question on do we know enough around adding in more fruits and vegetables specifically for the phytochemicals, the flavonoids, the anthocyanins, all these things that are uh, interesting. Um, you know, the term, I think, small variable benefits come to mind. P- potentially useful. We don't know exactly why. Um, we don't know exactly the, the dosage. And again, like you said, the preference comes in, accessibility, how you cook these things, raw versus cooked. So what we're saying, I think, to round off this first section is really interesting guy. He obviously has his own goals. You'll have your own goals. Fruits and vegetables and things and adding in uh, more of a diversity to the diet is great. Um, but I think, you know, be aware of what recovery means to you. Yeah. Obviously he's on this journey and he's like, right, I need to get back to my best. And if I eliminate animal foods, I will. And then, you know, be careful with that. I think it's then personalising it um, for, for what you want to get out, get out of it. Would you say? After, yeah, I think, I think another up? point we should highlight for recovery is that when you're recovery or when you're recovering, you're typically not doing as much exercise as you were. So you don't need as many calories. And when Matt mentioned about the, the small things like the anthocyanins, they're great. And yes, we do want those. We want to focus on the main things first. And surely having a balanced calorie intake to your expenditure is, is probably the main thing. So a vegan diet is probably going to be lower in energy mm. than foods with uh, dairy, animal, just because of the higher fat content. Mm. So when you start reducing those out, you might be in a slightly, well, you might be get creating that energy equilibrium which you're looking for. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So maybe the next section, so we went into 
the part about do you want to address the the fighting or do you want to address the kind of notion around how you know these these gladiators people that we've seen over time to be the absolute uh, pinnacle of of you know performance aggression and they're saying oh wow you know actually they only just ate vegetables we don't we don't need to touch too much on the historical side of things because I think people want to focus on mm. here and now. But let's at least look back a little. Like, what's your take on on well, some of the some of that? I think this is a point that the film does or explains very well, and it's true. I think there has been a notion in the past that vegetarians or people who don't eat meat are weak, are small, are scrawny. But it's there's something this film does so well is it shows that. You can be an athlete at the top level in a range of different sports and you don't have to eat meat. So the way they try and explain this is they say that the gladiators and the people in the Roman time didn't eat any meat and they found this out from looking at their teeth, I think. Mm. But then that makes a lot of sense because the gladiators were slaves and they're not going to feed the slaves very expensive food. So you think, well, that, that does make sense. And if these people could build muscle... I mean, you can see from some of the pictures and stuff of um, gladiators that they are well-muscled. Mm. Um, they may not be the the peak of physical fitness that we would think of today, but they probably were pretty good at the time. So, I mean, it shows that, yes, you, you can be fit and healthy without meeting meat. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's important to touch on those things, and you can get wrapped up in something like this because, you know, the, the documentary flows very well and um you know when it shoots back and and gives you some of these examples you think oh yeah and and you start to you know really kind of uh, like you said get on board with the the narrator um and then get on board with a bit of the history and think oh god well, you know i assume those guys and we're just chopping down loads of meat if they're eating vegetables yeah you know, I, it's the whole hunter gatherers it's coming yeah. back to that yeah. and i mean yeah it's hunter gatherers well mm. we were probably gatherers and then hunters like we probably gathered the majority of our food and got the majority of our nutrition coming from scavenging foods, picking berries back in those days. Mm. And then just simply because hunting was so dangerous, you don't particularly want to have to do that that often because you're more likely to die. Mm. Mm. Yeah, to be fair, that's probably correct. Yeah, Interesting. So I think why don't we touch on a couple of the sports stars because obviously it's good to get into uh the the nuts and bolts around the nutrition the message of of the the documentary but i think let's let's touch on the fighting so the the conor mcgregor nate diaz um example and then also let's touch on the the ultra marathon runner um too so yeah it'd be good to get your thoughts on both of those um and then also uh the strongman yeah so we had the you know we had this kind of uh, skew to be like actually look these people are plant-based they're absolutely flying in their sport at the top level. Mm-hmm. So let's unpick that. Okay, so it was interesting how they they cut this very well to show, and it's it was so believable that, well, Conor McGregor's quite clearly lost because he's been eating loads and loads of meat, and Nate Diaz is vegan or vegetarian, so he's he's won the fight. And that, that snippet was so well done. But in reality, MMA is so multifaceted that there's a myriad of different factors that may um, combine to create the, the winning or the losing in, in the fight. So, yes, it could be the fact that he wasn't particularly well fueled. Because um, mm. I think his, and the quote was, um, there's a battle of energy out there. However, someone at a top level, like Conor McGregor, would have a sport nutritionist 
So I'm pretty sure they would have got his pre-match uh, nutrition right. Um, so I doubt it was a specific fueling strategy actually in the fight. Whether his lead up to it, um, he wasn't taking in the right things. I mean, it may have actually played a role. Mm. Um, but I think just in terms of explaining and and creating a the evidence or looking at the evidence, it's just someone's opinion that he lost because of the diet he ate, mm. and saying that as fact is misleading. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. Good. I don't think I've got anything else to add there. No. Um, so the next sense. yeah the next one we were going to look at was Scott Jurek, and I read Scott's um, book back when um, I was super fascinated with ultra endurance running. And that was off the back of reading um, Born to Run, yeah, which one of my favourite books. So I'd, I'd recommend reading that if you're interested in ultramarathons. But you found that Scott changed this plant-based diet and he thought that was having a massive benefit on him physiologically. And there's a fair amount of, um, of, of, good, uh, of good reasons why it might help him. If he's... One, it's, it's quite important to say that he's very much at the top of his game. He's someone who has done ultra-endurance events for a very, very long time. Mm. And he's someone who's trained his gut to be able to handle eating a bean burrito on the run and being able to eat excessive amounts of calories whilst running. Mm. So he's definitely in the minority on that one mm. because I don't think I could handle eating a bean burrito whilst doing a 10K, let alone the double marathon. Yeah, I mean, just GI distress alone, it's it's quite a, a feat to be able to train your gut to be able to handle that. Definitely, definitely. But um, the fact that he's vegan, I mean, he's going to be eating so much food to be able to sustain himself to running what is a double marathon every day for about 45 days. Mm. Um, he's going to be eating so much food that he's going to be getting an ample amount of protein just for the sheer volume mm. that he's eating. But also... To run that far, you're you're burning carbohydrates. You're just getting through vast volumes of carbohydrates, of which come from plants. Mm. So it is a sport which would suit someone who doesn't necessarily eat meat. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's interesting, that total amount of food, because like you said, for him to, to meet energy needs, to try to um, you know wave off illness and all these kind of things, it's absolutely paramount that he gets the volume in. And then, like you said, with with some of this long distance stuff, multi stage, day race stuff, you know, carbohydrates are still king as much of yet. You could probably take on some 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 fat and some fiber during uh, running if if you practiced it. And you know, some people can just they're absolute mutes. They can eat and run. You know, others they can't go anywhere near it. So it's one of those things where you have to practice these things when you're doing long distance efforts and and you're at that kind of elite level, you're living a complete different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, these people are living in the <clears> mountains, they're training every day, you know, their their capacity to withstand punishment from, you know, a, a gut side of things, from a mental side of things, from a physical side of things. They're unbelievable specimens. Yeah. And you can see how, you know, him eating um, a plant-based diet could could support him. But I think that's, again, it's, it's very end scale. And, and we know there's there's other people in that sport that are omnivores that, that are at the top of their yeah, know, level so as well. When you say N scale, it's, it's saying that he's N of one there. Yeah. So it's just one person's doing this. And it's quite a good explanation when you say that someone like Carl Meltzer, who there's he's also an ultra endurance runner, uh, again, at the very, very top of the game. 
um, he went and ran the Appalachian Trail as well uh, after Scott and managed to beat his record by I think a few hours um, and that film is on Netflix if you, this is an area of the film that you're interested in I'll check that out I think it's called Made to be Broken mm. but the point I was going to make is Carl's not vegan and he was able to do that same feat so it's not necessarily the fact that you were vegan were allowing you to do that mm. and watching the documentary is quite interesting because Carl is just eating everything it's chicken wings it's ice cream mm. it's like things you wouldn't necessarily think well this is the diet I would give someone who's going to be running a double marathon it's just because you're because you're running for that long and you just want hyper palatable foods just to get some of the energy in mm. um, but very interesting documentary and I'd recommend mm. having a look at that one I think trying to round this off and bring it back to you know the the everyday athlete or the endurance enthusiast um, you know that there's it'd be interesting to get James take on this but when I see some people around endurance nutrition you know the kind of concept of training meals and anytime meals you know and with the people that I work with that sit for a living you know in the city these days they're anytime meals of course I'm trying to get fruits and vegetables in um, 100% and then and then closer to their training their training meals you know the the, the composition of their snacks and 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 their liquid nutrition might change and I may get more food into someone with a combination of training meals and anytime meals on a day where they are going longer and most of the time that is probably going to be from fruits and vegetables and and, and plant-based foods yes in the evening if someone eats meat or fish or whatever I'll try and get them to follow up with a with a really you know decent whole food protein source if that's beans or whatever you know creating a plate of food but um like James said there you know that you're going to be eating more as a result of doing more and a lot of the time that may come through plants because it's uh, you know it's going to provide energy and, and also a lot of these things are very portable you know people aren't taking animal products and things with them when they're yeah. racing you know the average person you might just have that afterwards for lunch for dinner you know maybe maybe a, a smaller portion and it might and it might be uh, easier to digest at that point you know when you're away from your sport yeah for sure Cool. Okay, so should we? Um, so we've, we've, strong we've touched on the MMA a little bit. We've touched on the ultra. Um, yeah, let's talk about Patrick. I, I'm gonna absolutely butcher his name. I think it's <laughs> a boy man. Well, I've no idea. He is absolute tank, and his facial hair, like from a guy who can't grow anything, he has these like meat chops that are just amazing. It's a good look. Yeah. It's very strong. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's he's his involvement in the film just shows that. You can be a large, exceptionally strong athlete and eat a vegan diet, um, which is awesome because I think that is a huge misconception in that community. And out of all the strongman athletes that I know, I, I don't know many vegan athletes. So it's quite a good point that they're making. And it shows that you can gain weight easily on a vegan diet. I think there's a misconception that you go on a vegan diet if you want to lose weight because it's very restrictive and therefore you're probably going to be taking out a lot of um, food options which then lead to taking out a lot of energy or calories from your day mm. but one of the first things that I thought when I saw that they're including a strong man in it and someone who's very top of the game uh, creating world records I was thinking, well, where are the guys in the world's strongest man? Where's Simon Shaw? Where's Hafford Bjornsson? Where's Eddie Hall? These mm. uh, Martin's Litters. These guys who you'd think, well, are, are they stronger than him? Because the film makes it seem like Patrick Bowman's like the strongest man in the world. Mm. Um, I think he'd be the first person to say that he's definitely not the strongest man. But 
Um, I mean, if we look at things like his world record, um, I think the world record in the yoke, which is where he carried that um, very, very heavy thing on his shoulders and walked with it, yeah. um, that actually suits his his body shape down to an absolute T. Mm. And this is the reason that he's not um, there competing with the guys on the stage at the World's Strongest Man, because he's quite a short athlete for to be a strongman. Mm. Um, to be a strongman, you need to be a, have a big frame, in essence, because it just if you're six foot six, it allows you to put a lot more muscle bulk on your frame mm. compared to someone who's five foot seven, which is what Patrick is. Mm. Now, that's not to say that he's not exceptionally strong, but it does favour pulling movements like deadlifts because he's got shorter levers, and actually carrying a yoke because you've got shorter legs, you have to lift it less high. And then there's a lot less stabilizing muscles used because you're simply not as tall. So it's a very good event for him. And it's it shows that you can still be at that very top level. Mm. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's, it's, it's an interesting part of the film because it makes people think, wow, you can still put on some substantial size. You can still get very strong um, by, you know, by, by eating plants. You know, obviously the training's there, like you said, his body composition you know, he, he chooses events that, that suit him really well. Um, so I'd say, you know, they're not, it's misleading because he's not compared to other people in his field, but I think it's, it's an interesting part because it, it does wash away a bit of, oh, wow, you know, people can't get strong. They can't build muscles without, you know, without, without eating meat, fish, eggs, chicken, dairy, things like that. So, um, yeah, maybe out of the three, um sports performers and, and examples there that was something that i watched and i was a bit like ah, fair dues um, and he <laughs> yeah. seemed like a pretty decent chap and you relate to these characters and when he said obviously he wanted to get strong to just be able to look after his family and things like that you know that's great and if he's managing to prep his food and train and eat enough to sustain that kind of incredible amount of load and training through eating you know fruits and vegetables and legumes and things like hats off to him I, I, you know i wonder yeah. where's uh I wonder what his uh, farts are like after the amount he's eating there. But anyway. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> if you compare what the diet he must be having with someone, I think Eddie Hall and Simon Shaw, I've got these videos on YouTube where they go through their diet and it's just excessive amounts of animal products. Unbelievable. Just because they have to consume a very high fat diet to get the amount of calories into them mm. because they're constantly trying to gain weight. Mm. And for those of you who aren't uh, particularly clued up in the size of these athletes, if you think about, I mean, Matt, myself, probably 70, 80 kilograms, mm. these guys are like two and a half of us. Yeah. They're, they're, they're in and around 160 to 200 kilograms, these guys at the very top of their game. So you to get that big, you have to be constantly eating. It's yeah, excessive it's sort of six to eight meals a day, huge high fat meals. So doing that on a vegan diet is, is going to be an even larger amount of food because you've got a got that fiber element yeah you're right and i think like you said it comes back to being a conscious consumer and everything will be organized for these people and um you know their sports everything their 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 training and their performances everything and um yeah i think to 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 wrap up the the athlete side of the um you know the documentary there's 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 points to show like look actually from it from an endurance side from a strength side um, you know these things can be done you can support performance by eating a plant-based diet but you know there's more to the story there's other athletes in their field 
and um, like you said we, we we don't know what their environment's like um, and we don't actually know what these guys are eating really you know they didn't really break that down no that would have been a nice nice touch to yeah. go through a day yeah um, maybe they'll do a game changers too yeah <laughs> Cool. So, um, mate, what what do you want to move on to now? Should we talk um, a little bit about some more of the sports performers, or do you want to go into some of the tests that they did? So, you know, they took a couple of people. They, you know, they did a little bit on erections. They did a little bit on testing blood after eating. Yeah, meals. some of some of the the sciencey side. Um, yeah. Well, I think I'll let you explain the endothelial function, Matt. Um, as I think that's probably more your background than mine. Am I right in saying that? Um, the the cloudy blood. I think from from my point of view, it was they they portrayed this cloudy blood um, and said, right, this is what endothelial function. So if the two are are married. They if you have cloudy blood, your endothelial function isn't as what it should be. Yeah. Um, and it's very good for TV because that's very very visual and you can associate. Oh, okay, well that one's cloudy, that one's clear. Um, but whether it really does. Um, mean that your endothelial function isn't at its best if your mm. blood is cloudy i think i mean they sort of said this is gospel but whether that's actually true or not is um is something else mm. what, what are your thoughts on how it was done that yeah so there's the endothelium is like cells that that line the the interior surface of blood vessels so obviously even that in itself you are you are getting into the underbelly of of, of uh, physiology and nutrition and and your um you know you're really diving deep in there and I think it's stepping back and looking at the context around things and for the average person if you've ever gone in and you've measured a few biomarkers you know people are aware of blood sugar or you know if you're not we'll go through them now um, blood sugar is an interesting one cholesterol is an interesting one so you break that down into fat in the blood which would be triglycerides. You might look at um, the carriers of cholesterol, so the boats, you know, LDL, HDL. Um, you may look at inflammatory markers, this one called CRP. So um, you never look at one marker in isolation. And of course, yeah, it's interesting to look at, okay, how, how are um, things going in terms of the, the, the interior function of, of our blood vessels? How are things flowing through there? How are things working? Um, but you know acutely like that it's it's a snapshot you know we need to think about these uh, systems and how they're working chronically and if there is dysfunction unless there's some kind of genetic issue which of course it's worth a conversation with a gp if if, if you ever uh, are wary or you're eliciting, eliciting symptoms or things like that you know gp over everything for this health first um you can't just kind of measure someone's blood after they've eaten a meal and be like look you know you've gonna you're gonna have a better health outcome from eating a plant-based meal compared to eating a, a you know animal foods so there's there's so many other markers that you have to be aware of and um taking one snapshot in time isn't going to be very useful for as you said there a health outcome or assessing health span it's more about markers over time and how they change mm. and that's really important and um it's also there's something called fat shunting so um i'll leave a, a link to a, a deeper explanation to this in the show notes but if you're eating something and then you're measuring your blood there's there's actually case to say and this is researched the the, the markers that are being measured are actually what uh, has been in the system before so for example if i had 
uh, an evening meal, breakfast, had lunch and then um, measured blood. So say that was an example in the documentary. Um, it's not what you've just eaten. It's actually shunted. Uh, let's just use, you know, use fat that, that's been tested there. Um, it could have been the fat in the food from breakfast. Yeah, they haven't, like that. I think they haven't done the blood tests of the all, all three athletes when they've been fasted. Yeah. Because if if they did those that test, then all three athletes, because they've been fasted, their bloods would look exactly the same and they'd all be clear. Mm. Um, something that got me a little bit is just the study. They One, they haven't actually published this study where they've shown exactly what's in the bean burrito, what's in the chicken shown the macronutrients and shown how much fat is coming from the avocado mm. because that's something that's very interesting is that this all this study is really showing is that yes when you eat a high fat meal you are going to have fat in the bud it's called postpandrial lipemia you are going to that's a completely natural thing that's going to happen but i think what they're saying is that that only comes from animal fat mm. whereas and then they reference a study which supports that but when you look at that study that they've referenced, that study is all, all that that study is looking at is different foods and the effect that they have on postprandial lipemia. Mm. So they're looking at high fat foods, low fat foods, and they found that yes, high fat foods create more postprandial lipemia, and it's mm. not actually whether that's an animal based fat or a plant based fat. Mm. So that's quite misleading, I think. Really misleading. I think you look at it. And maybe someone watches it and worries because they think, wow, if that's what's happening to my blood, what happens uh, to the rest of my body? And then if I just convert to eating plants, are things going to be better? But as we know, unless you test and, and, and see where your biomarkers are with some of the things that I described earlier, and, you know, health is so many things that feed into it, as you know, vitality and purpose in life, sunlight in the eyeballs physical activity, you know, thriving social life. So, someone's markers could be in the red around the things I described before and they could still live a long life because other things slot into place, genetics, all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, I'll get your opinion to round things off too, mate, but I think it's, uh, like you said, N equals one, it is powerful, um, but they're measuring something that, um, is it a true reflection of what's going on because there's something called fat shunting, like you said, that they haven't measured uh, in a fasted state either and then also you know what's what's the clinical outcome of that and and what what is said afterwards and how detrimental is that to health you know that's an unknown and you can't just take one measurement after one meal and say okay now look if you change mm. this you're going to live an extra 10 years or you're not you know you're not going to get chronic pain or um you know you, you you're going to do better feel better yeah well what I will say is it's it's very difficult to do science well, full stop, but it's even more difficult to do science well and make it palatable to the masses and put it across on a, on a documentary. Because if you really wanted to get into the nuts and bolts of this, you wouldn't be assessing endothelial function, dysfunction. You'd be assessing the performance of the players mm. because that's ultimately what you're caring about, whether they, they make the extra down or whether they like score win more games in the league based on what they've eaten differently mm. so but to do that i think you're it's it's so multifaceted that yeah. you can't just pin down one bit um just doing the one studies is is a good start but then ultimately you need 
more scientists to reproduce that same study mm. to increase the reliability of it and then you need to almost have a meta-analysis of all these studies and say okay well now we believe that having just one study that is yet to be published i think is um is it's a start mm. but it shouldn't be said that this is gospel and then mm. put out on a documentary for thousands of people to who aren't as educated or aren't listening to podcasts like this to try and get more informed on the topic. Mm. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you're and you're and you're early to mid twenties American collegiate athlete, then that might be more appropriate for you. But I don't, you know, I don't know how much. What was it? A a baseball player. Uh, I don't know. A couple of American football players, mid twenties. You could argue, you know, in in their absolute prime from a physiological standpoint. Um, yeah, it is interesting. It's good to see, and like you said, it gives a snapshot of how a, a basic scientific experiment could be produced. Hmm. But you know, if you're not that person, obviously you're not that person. But if you're not in that kind of population bracket, then again, you know, you just need to think about um, what health outcome you want. And um, yeah, if you are measuring things, always remember that you know it's it's a snapshot, it's a baseline, and what you do over the next three four six months 12 months two years after that when you remeasure you know those those um those two tests are going to be interesting because you're going to see a before and an after yeah and take a professional opinion don't necessarily think right well i have to wait until all this science done before you change what you eat Mm. i think i mean you are your own experiment really so try having a bean burrito whatever try try experimenting with a different food and then be conscious of how you play and how you think you are fueled and then you learn how to fuel yourself i think and that should be the message yeah i mean if you've changed your diet you're probably then gonna think oh just from some sort of placebo or nocebo i haven't done this Mm. uh, you might get a benefit there anyway so just thinking more about what you eat prior to competing is is going to have a huge benefit Mm, definitely and i think that's the theme of this show i think it's good to dive in and and pick out sections and that's why i wanted to get james's point of view because you know he's he's a performance nutritionist he thinks about working with people around endurance around um high intensity training you know crossfit uh end scale kind of performances and outcomes but really at the end of the day if it gets you thinking about your overall nutrition environment and and you know building a bit of a toolbox i think what we're trying to say is that's a positive thing. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, do you want to touch on the beetroot stuff, mate? Or, or yes. Or, um, you know, what do you want to go through there? I know you love beetroot. You were showing it to me before we started. Yes. Um, <laughs> apparently, I'm one of the few people who do like beetroot as well. Yeah, yeah. So before <laughs> we started recording, I was like, I don't know anyone that I work with that eats beetroot. Yeah, okay, a few people might use it and uh, drink the juice. But I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know, no, no one really eats it. And then you said, what you eat? Yeah, I have, um, I have two packs of 300 grams a week. Yeah. I just I I chop it up, put it in my salads. I love it. So to be it's, fair, it's sweet. You yeah. Get that, that nice sweet taste, but then you also get a huge amount of uh, micronutrients as well as those healthy nitrates. Yeah, mate. So to be fair, it's it's more applicable for someone like yourself because <laughs> you've chosen to run with you know a vegetable like this and and you've integrated it into your food environment. So, mate, hats off to you. But yeah, give give people a little bit of context behind the okay. study and, and beetroot in general because obviously you absolutely love it. Yeah. So the the point we're referencing in the film is where they show a clip of I think it's Patrick doing a bench press and say that uh, just beetroot juice supplementation can increase your total weight by 19% and what immediately shot into my head was okay well 
let's say we go into the gym and our maximum is 100 kgs and then we um we go in the next day and we have our beetroot juice can we lift 119 kgs is that um is that what this this documentary is telling me in which case fantastic that's mm. insane um so i wanted to look into it a little bit and i think i found the study all i did was um i googled a few of the keywords and popped it into google scholar um and i think the study is showing or is explaining that it's 90 percent more total weight by which they did a study where they did three sets on bench press with i think um six to ten i can't remember the exact number but in that scale of uh, participants who were about probably 19 to 20 guys from university and they did three sets with two minutes rest in between and they looked at the amount of reps and then they came back the following day did 400 mgs of nitrate um oh sorry they did 400 mgs of nitrate for six days so they they built up their nitrate levels and then they retested them and the total weight, so over those three sets, was 19% more. So that probably equates to one or maybe maybe two extra reps in each set, which probably would have a, a benefit, I think. Whether that study holds up in the scheme of all the scientific literature for beetroot juice and strength, I think is something completely different. Mm. So I've had a lot of people talk to me about cherry-picking studies uh, when looking at this documentary, and I think this may be one of them, because pulling that stat or that statistic out, um, not in context, is very misleading, because my initial thought was, oh, sweet, I'm going to go hit a new one at max there. But I don't think that's quite the case. Um, personally, I would recommend beetroot juice if you're not a performance athlete, because what they found is that beetroot juice has less effect the... Uh, the more elite you are, mm. uh, whether that's because your blood vessels are already more dilated or you have a better diet anyway with more nitrates, so you don't actually have that lift in nitrate in the blood. Mm. Um, but if you are a sort of everyday runner and you want to get some benefit from beetroot juice, you can either do it with beetroot or like me, you can just consume more whole beetroots so or mm. something like um, spinach, I think is very high in nitrate as well. Mm. Um, but what it does is effectively dilates your blood vessels. So it comes back to that endothelial function a little bit. It, it makes them a little bit better, so you can get a little bit more blood there. You can get a little bit more oxygen. Um, for me, I think from the research that I've done on beetroot juice, I think it has more of a benefit on exercise economy than it does for strength gains. And I think that's what the review of the literature for beetroot juice would, would, would conclude. Mm. And I'll, I'll put that study in the show notes um, and, and yeah, like you said, there's quite a lot on beetroot juice for performance or endurance performance for exercise economy, things like that. So I can link to that lovely people if you're interested. But I think the, the takeaway from, from that section is, like you said, be aware that documentaries like this will cherry pick studies. And if you're interested in beetroot, beetroot juice, yeah, you know, including more beets in the diet, uh, drinking beetroot juice, if that's something you want to try, it tastes rank just to let you know. Um, yeah, the uh, the cherry active one, it's very very sticky and quite sharp. Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> it's that top of the pyramid stuff, isn't it? It's that comes mm. back to daily diet and lifestyle. Get your exercise stimulus and things in there. Think about your recovery, and then if you're looking again for these small variable benefits, um, you know, I'm sure James will be in the same camp as me. You're looking at caffeine, you're looking at beetroot juice, you're thinking, 
you know are, are these are these things every day can you grab them and use them and can you titrate levels up and down of course you can but we, we don't need to get stuck in the weeds on that but no, we, something I'd, point I'd like out. to jump in there is say we've been talking about the beach reduce in relation to performance whereas building it in if you're even if you're not interested in performance at all and you're just maybe not an athlete you don't do much having more nitrate rich foods in your diet is going to be hugely beneficial because I think what they found when they started doing all this research on beetroot was that uh, actually it, it doesn't have quite the effect we hoped for in performance athletes but if we gave this to your run-of-the-mill everyday person they might see quite big improvements in things like their blood pressure because you're mm-hmm. vasodilating those vessels therefore the blood pressure comes down mm-hmm. so just for your everyday person including more beetroot but fruits and veggies is the main theme in your diet is going to be hugely healthful Mm-hmm. and i think that does that dovetail do you think into the erection side of things in terms of like <laughs> um, i don't think i'd ever say that i thought i'd say that on a podcast before yeah, wow um <laughs> yes i think the blood flow i mean that sort of segues yeah. in quite nicely yeah, yeah yeah um i mean eating a diet rich in nitrates and it's the same uh, mechanism yeah as the beetroot juice it's going to create more vasodilation in your blood vessels Therefore, yes, you're you are gonna get more erections. Mm. Whether that necessarily comes from eating a bean burrito versus eating a um, a chicken burrito or something <laughs> like that, um, it'd be interesting to see what if they did that same study and then someone ate 300 grams of beetroot mm. because they haven't re- quite um, nailed down the mechanism or explained that it's just a very good visual, something that works great over film because you think, oh wow, these these guys are getting massive erections mm. happy days mm. Mm. No, i think that's perfect yeah we've, we've definitely teased a bit of that out and <laughs> um yeah. so um good and i'll link to these things and i think if people haven't thought about beetroot before listening to this they definitely have now mate and if you're an advocate of that and uh people want to yeah learn how to integrate it into their diet you should um maybe you should chuck out some beetroot recipes if you're a yeah if you're i think a big um, fan of these. As, i mean i said it before in the podcast it's you are your own experiment it's something that may help you with your like 10k it may help you do your olympic distance um but don't whatever you do don't think right well i'm going to try that on my next race go and try it in training see how you feel Mm. i had one athlete who experienced quite low blood pressure while they were cycling and they felt a bit faint because that of that vasodilation we've explained so it's something you definitely want to test while you're in your training period Mm. cool okay so mate starting to round things off do you do you want to touch on any of the kind of um environmental side of things or the you know the general kind of like marketing element of 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 the documentary or do you want to kind of just finish off on you know your overall take and and what you think people should go away and think about or um you know is it worth evolving evolving their diets after watching this or something like that yeah um yeah i think i think we don't necessarily need to touch on the marketing element i think we all know that yes the tobacco industry um wasn't doing particularly good things back in the day um has that has that changed is is uh high meat company food oh that wasn't a good sentence has um uh is the fast food industry who are pushing meat um are they the new tobacco i think you can make your own mind up on that i don't necessarily think you need our two pence Mm. um what i would say is that i think this documentary is great in the fact that it's gonna have more people go out and start eating more plant-rich foods I think that's a hugely healthful thing to start doing. Um, personally, I eat a pescatarian diet. 
and I'm trying to slowly titrate down the amount of fish I am eating because I'm not sure how sustainable the fishing industry is. Um, so my reasons for doing that are environmental and wanting to eat slightly lower on the energy food chain, consume less water, um, not directly but indirectly through eating less plants or more plants and less meat, mm. um, which I think this documentary will cause more people to do it, or at least cause them to be more conscious in how they choose their food. But whether that message needs to be you have to eat a vegan diet and take out all all plant uh, sorry all animal based foods, I think is you can do it, but you don't have to. I'd say. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean the the film tries to argue the vegan case from absolutely all angles. So they do that marketing spiel, they do the flexible morality um, spiel of the someone who was. Um, helping the guys who are anti-poaching and saying he's an animal lover, he protects these, um, all those very wild animals, but, you know, then goes back and eats meat. Um, and I think thinking about that sort of thing is actually very good for us because, yes, I mean, animal welfare probably isn't great in a lot of the um, a lot of the meat industry and a lot of the things, I mean, chicken, there's just huge amounts of battery chicken, cage mm. chicken still out there. Mm. And one of the things they mentioned is the biodiversity of the um, of the environment. So not just the plants that are out there, but also the animals. And I think if you asked anyone, would you want to see more cows in the world or more giraffes? I think everyone would say giraffes, but then they don't want to put down the hamburger. So yeah. there is definitely that flexible morality, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, like you said, our general take more fruits and vegetables probably lead to a more healthful uh lifestyle outcome whatever you want to call it i think being a conscious consumer um playing food detective sometimes and then that term of uh, you are your own experiment i absolutely love that mate <laughs> um so i think you know that's it and it was it was good to get into each section because i think um yeah if you're listening to this and and you know it's your job to speak to people about nutrition or exercise um, or you know the combination of the two um, you know we, we've been a lot more relevant for for the average person because of this documentary so um, and I've had so many questions from people um, even like family members people that don't give a you know whatever about nutrition they've watched this after work and just been like hello you know is there mm. something in this that's why I wanted to do this podcast and I wanted to get you on mate because obviously um, you know from a performance point of view um, you 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 work with people to uh, achieve outcomes um, for a living, so that's yeah that's why I wanted your take yeah. on I it. I mean, really. if I could sum it up in a sentence, I say you can achieve whatever performance outcomes you want on a vegan diet. It just is likely to be very much more difficult. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah, so get out there, and um, yeah, just keep playing food detective, keep experimenting with your meals, um, and all that kind of thing. And um, yeah, if you if you enjoy this kind of longer form of the show, um, let me know as well because um, this is something I haven't really done before in terms of you know teasing out um, something that's quite popular in nutrition at the moment. I usually just kind of get guests on and and we talk about their background and, and interests of mine. So yeah, mate, James, thanks so much for your time. And um, before we go, just let people know um, where they can find you and um yeah what you're what you're doing at the moment mate 
Cool. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. I have a page called Nutrition for Energy, which is my business. I'm on Instagram, also Nutrition for Energy. Uh, Twitter, Food for Energy. I mean, famously different handles. Um, and part of my business is to provide body composition analysis. So that's basically creating or doing a body fat percentage so then people get a baseline we can then do a nutrition discussion create some goals and help improve your performance mm. um look jump on my website it's nutritionforenergy.co.uk and uh come find me that would be great love to see you from cool and yeah like lovely people if you if you follow me and um especially if you're someone that's messaged me in the past and asked about sports nutrition consultancy you know I'm, I'm not actually doing that at this moment in time so if you are looking for a, a sports nutritionist a poor performance nutritionist around some of the things that we've talked about today then look, you know definitely get in touch with james he's london based obviously not going to give away his exact address but uh mate do you travel as well like how does it yeah work? i'm, I'm in north london um i do a lot of my consultations over skype but if you drop me a message, we can see if we're um, if you're within 20 miles um, of North London, then it's likely that I'll be able to come out and do your body composition or just drop me a message and we can chat over Skype. Mm. Cool. Cool. OK, so lovely people look before I go. And this is obviously extremely topical. This show is brought to you by 33 Fuel. So these guys produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. Everything's whole food based. We're talking chia seed energy, gels. I use those on my bimbles. You just add the water, shake. Really, really good stuff. They do protein powders. They've got energy bars. They've got protein bars. They've got a, um, what is it? They've got like a, a greens powder. So as I always say, you can reach out to them as well. Warren, Erica and James run the company. And, uh, you know, they're great people They help keep the lights on with this show. And you can get 10% off your first order with Matt 10 at checkout. So have a great week and we'll speak soon.